Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. So the Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 to 29. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Great, well we continue our series through the book of Galatians, and we're looking at a Uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verses 26 to 29, which is really the the conclusion and the climax of Paul's argument, the argument that he started all the way back in chapter 2. And so this is a very crucial passage, and it's central to Paul's theology, to Paul's understanding of who we are in Jesus. And so this passage is all about our true identity. As followers of Jesus. So who are we really? What what is our core identity? And as a follower of Jesus, our core identity is that we are united with Jesus. Notice how often the phrase in Christ or similar appears in this passage. In verse 26, in Christ Jesus. Verse 27, baptized into Christ and clothed with Christ. In verse 28, one in Christ. And in verse 29, belong to Christ. So we're in Jesus, baptized in Jesus, clothed with Jesus, one with Jesus, and we belong to Jesus. This is just various ways of saying that we are united with Jesus, that we have a a, a very intimate and personal connection and relationship to Jesus. And in some sense, there's a, a oneness with us and Jesus. And the result of being united with Jesus is firstly, we read in verse 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. And secondly, verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. You see, there were these troublemakers from Jerusalem, Jewish followers of Jesus who had come to Galatia, and they'd been telling the Galatians that you had to be Jewish to be a child of God. You had to be Jewish to be the seed of Abraham, a descendant of Abraham. And therefore you had to be Jewish in order to be heirs according to the promise. That's referring to the promises of God's blessing and salvation. And Paul is saying, no, no. There is only one true child of God, and that's Jesus. There's only one true descendant, ultimate descendant of Abraham, and that's Jesus. And the only way anyone can be a child of God, the only way anyone can be a descendant of Abraham, and therefore an heir to the promise, is if you 
are united to Jesus, if you are connected to Jesus, if you are in Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not. The only thing that matters is are you united to Jesus, connected to Jesus, and in Jesus. So how do we become united to Jesus? Well, in verse 26, it says, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. The only way you can be united to Jesus is through putting your faith in Jesus. That means it has absolutely nothing to do with what you have done, and it has absolutely everything to do with what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we get united to Jesus and we get a whole new status, a whole new identity. We become children of God. We we become part of God's family. We become God's children and God becomes our Father. Now, human fathers are flawed. And some are really, really flawed. But even the best of human fathers still makes mistakes, isn't always there for us. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. He is always there for us. He always wants what is best for us. He is a good, good Father. And so when we put our faith in Jesus, it has huge implications for our relationship with God. We no longer stand condemned by the Old Testament law of Moses. But we're forgiven. We're accepted by God. We're included into His family. We become part of His family. We become God's children. God becomes our Father that we can relate to God just as a child relates to their parents. So it has huge implication for our relationship with God. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or not, because everyone can experience this relationship with God through faith in Jesus, on the same basis, on the same terms, through faith with Jesus. Notice there's a real universal and inclusive feel about this passage. Notice how many times the word all is used three times in verse 26 all you are all children of God verse 27 all of you were baptized into Christ and verse 28 for you are all one in Christ Jesus see it doesn't matter who you are we're all in the same boat as Paul says in verse 28 there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free neither male nor female It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is or your nationality. It doesn't matter how educated you are or what social class you come from. Even your gender doesn't matter. You're male or female. It doesn't matter because we're all in the same boat. We're all equal. We're all equal in our need for forgiveness. We are all equal in our inability to earn it or deserve it. And we're all equal in the fact that God offers it to us freely through faith in Jesus. 
And if you put your faith in Jesus, then we're all equal because we're all part of the same family. We're all included into God's family. We're all children of God and God is our Father. See, God is our Father. That makes us brothers and sisters. We're all equal because we're all equally children of God. And so that, if you put your faith in Jesus, it has profound implications for our relationship with God, but it also has profound implications for the way we relate to each other. Some have argued that all that Paul is talking about over here is that everyone, regardless of nationality or social class or gender, everyone is equally accepted by God through faith. Everyone's equal in the eyes of God. But that Paul is not saying anything about changing social conventions or distinctions. And so they argue that while Paul is saying we're all equally accepted by God, we're all equal in the eyes of God, we still need to uphold the normal social conventions and distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men and women. In other words, they argue that Paul is not saying... Slaves should be set free. Paul is not saying that that women should have equal opportunities with men. So is Paul just talking about a spiritual equality, our relationship with God, or is Paul also talking about a social political equality, our relationship with other people? Now, of course, the main issue that Paul is addressing over here is the Jew-Gentile issue, the Jew-non-Jew issue. That, that's the main issue he's dealing with. And, of course, his, his main argument is that, that Jews and Gentiles are accepted by God on absolutely the same terms through faith in Jesus. But does that lead to social Implications. Of course, that is his main argument, but and remember the case in, in Antioch. We read about it in chapter 2. Uh, in, in chapter 2, the Jews were refusing to eat with the Gentiles. What was Paul's argument? You Jews and you Gentiles have been accepted by God on exactly the same terms with faith in Jesus. That means... You are brothers and sisters. That means you eat together. It had a social implication. You see, our, our spiritual equality leads to a very profound social, political equality. It has social implications. Likewise, when Paul says, neither slave nor free, now, sure, Paul is not commanding Christians to set their slaves free. But it does undermine slavery, doesn't it? Uh, Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor in, in the very early 2nd century. And the thing that he claimed that put him off and put people off Christianity more than anything else was the fact that social classes mixed. 
That there was a mixing between slaves and, and, and free people. They would socialize together. So very clearly, Paul's words had undermined slavery within Christian households. Paul himself, for example, when he sends a slave back to Philemon, says uh, uh, to uh, Philemon, in Philemon chapter 16, receive him no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. Now that certainly undermines the master-slave relationship. You see, if we are, are, are put our faith in Jesus, we become part of God's family, we become brothers and sisters. And that has a profound implication on how we relate to each other. And if a church uh, tradition is correct, Philemon uh, did release Onesimus and he ended up becoming a bishop in, in Ephesus. It has social and political implications. Then Paul says, lastly, in that list is, nor is there male and female. Now this phrase stands out from the rest. It stands out not only because it is the, the climatic statement, the last in that list of three, but also because of its grammatical construction. Paul says, nor is there male and female. Now, you would have expected him to say, neither male nor female. I mean, that's, that's what Paul says earlier. He says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. So you would expect him to say, neither male nor female. But he doesn't. In the Greek, he literally says, no male and female. So why does he change the grammatical construction over here? It's because he's quoting Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Which states that, so God created humanity in his own image. Male and female he created them. So what Paul is stating over here is that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a whole new creation. You, you, you become one in Jesus. As Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. You see, God is doing a whole new thing in Jesus. He's bringing about a whole new creation in Jesus that even redefines the most basic features of original creation. It even transcends the categories and the distinctions of original uh, uh, creation. It has profound social political implications. And it speaks into uh, gender equality and equal opportunities for women. It also speaks into the, the, the current uh, debate about human sexuality. It has profound implications because in Jesus there is no male and female. Now of course within, in Paul's context, in the Galatian context, this was immediately relevant because the troublemakers were saying, if you want to be part of God's family, you had to be circumcised. And of course, who would get circumcised? It was only the males. The, the 
Paul says, in Jesus, there is no male and female. Now, of course, when we put our faith in Jesus, uh, we, we, we still are a male or a female biologically. Okay? We don't suddenly stop being male or female. But what Paul's saying is those categories don't matter anymore. Jesus, Jesus has, has eliminated all the old categories and distinctions that used to discriminate against people. He's abolished that. The Old Testament law of Moses, which would uphold ethnic boundary lines, would, would uphold a, a gender and social distinctions, has, is no longer relevant. Because we now one in Jesus. Profound social and political implications. Now, I don't know if you realize just how radical this is. Especially when you read it against Paul's cultural context. Jewish men, every morning when they would pray, Jewish men would pray this prayer every morning. Blessed be God that he did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be God that he did not make me a slave. Blessed be God that he did not make me a woman. Paul, as a young Jewish man, prayed that prayer every single day. And the Greeks had the same. They had the same prayer. Uh, their prayer was thanks that I was born a human being and not a beast. Next, a man and not a woman. And thirdly, a Greek and not a barbarian. And of course, for a Greek, anyone who was not a Greek was a barbarian. Everyone else, barbarians. And, and this was just a normal comment. This, it was, they, everyone thought that. This was just normal. You see, it's only when we read Paul Against his, against the chauvinistic, sexist, racist, classist, cultural context, and we just realize how shocking, how profound he's writing here. I mean, it's pretty. Paul's words are pretty radical, even today, right? So can you imagine how radical, how shocking it must have been in his own day? Absolutely shocking. Radical. And Christians, all through history, Christians have picked up on these words of Paul. Christians have been at the forefront of, of social change, of, of fighting for equality and equal rights all throughout history. All throughout history, Christians have been at the forefront. Christians like the Reverend Claude and Gertrude Hinscliffe, who started the, the Church League for Women's Suffrage, fighting for women's right to vote. Christians like Wilberf William Wilberforce, who saw the end of the slave trade. Christians like Martin Luther King, who saw the end of racial discrimination in the United States of America. Christian like, Christians like Bishop Tutu, who was instrumental in seeing the end of apartheid in South Africa. And all throughout history, Christians have been at the forefront of social change, fighting for equality and equal rights. And so it saddens me sometimes today when, when the church isn't always seen to be at the forefront 
of social change, fighting for equality. It saddens me. It, it, it saddens me sometimes that the church is even seen, sometimes in certain sectors, is seen as almost actively resisting social change and equality and equal rights for all. It saddens me. Because it goes against the very words of Paul. It goes against the very character of Jesus, who was constantly breaking down barriers and, and, and social conventions and distinctions that would discriminate against other people. Jesus was always on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed, and so should we. And we should always be at the forefront fighting for equality and equal rights. There's a story about a, a true story about a guy called Clarence Jordan. He was asked to go and preach at a, a Baptist church in the hills of South Carolina. This is back in the, the late 50s when there was an incredible racial animosity. There was incredible animosity between whites and blacks in that area. And so when he took the platform of the church, he was, he was amazed to see that the church was completely racially integrated. And so afterwards, he asked the old hillbilly preacher who was pastoring the church, how did you guys get this way? What way? Said the old preacher. Well, you, you know, integrated blacks and whites all together, worshipping together. What did come about since the decision? What decision? Said the old preacher. Uh, the Supreme Court decision that brought about a racial integration in the schools and so on? What's the Supreme Court going to do with us? It's a good question. But Clarence wasn't about to let him off the hook. So he said, okay, look, you must know you've got an unusual situation over here. How did it happen? Well, said the old hillbilly preacher. There were only a few of us left in the church when the last preacher died. And we couldn't get a new preacher nohow. So eventually I said to them, look, I'm willing to preach. And the church agreed, so I became the preacher. So the first thing I did when I got up in the pulpit, I opened up my Bible, and I put my finger down on a verse, and it landed on Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. Which says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all one in Christ. And so I preached how we all one in Christ, and therefore there can't be any racial division in us. After the service, the deacons called me into the back room and said, We don't want that type of preaching here no more. So what did you do last night? I fired them deacons. <laughs> How come they didn't fire you? They didn't hire me. <laughs> There's an advantage of being an unpaid pastor. And he continued. He said, when I found out what was bothering them, I preached it to them every single Sunday. And I preached that church down four people. And he said, then, slowly people started to come. More and more people started to come. Black people, white people, worshipping together. And we started to grow you see, when you're filled with Jesus, all that racial garbage is just washed away. 
You see, sometimes a revival begins not by getting more people in, but by some blessed subtractions. <laughs> Clarence, on his way home, uh, was being driven home, back, or actually back to his hotel, by a, a very young, sophisticated English professor who was teaching at the university in South Carolina. And, and this guy would drive 70 miles both ways to, to be a member of that church. And so Clarence said to him, well, well, why do you go to that church? I mean, you're an English professor, that old hillbilly preacher can't preach a single sentence without making a grammatical error. Why would you drive all that way to listen to him? And this English professor turned to Clarence and said, I go to that church because that man preaches the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are one in you. That you have broken down all the barriers, all the social conventions that that distinguish and discriminate against people. We thank you that we find a, a profound equality in you. That we can stand before you as children of God and we can look around at everyone and see that we are brothers and sisters. And Father, help us to realize that our, our identity, our core identity isn't found in our ethnicity. It isn't found in our nationality. It isn't found in our social class. It isn't found in our gender, but it's found in you. It's found in our relationship with you. And we are children, your children, children of God. And Father, help us to let that identity become our core identity. And Father, help, that, help us to realize that, that if that is our core identity, then there simply cannot be any discrimination in your body. Because we're all brothers and sisters. And Father, do forgive us the times when we have discriminated against others. Father, it's so easy to just form into our little social groups, look down our noses at other groups, think we're superior or better. Father, won't you forgive us? And Father, won't you forgive us in the times when we haven't stood up against discrimination. Won't you forgive us for the times when we haven't fought for, for equality and equal rights, just as your son Jesus always did. Father, help us to be like Jesus. Help us to have that, the character of Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would empower us and enable us to love with your love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.